Hey, it's Jed Hearn, host of Wizards, Warriors, and Words. If you're enjoying the writing advice on this show, you might like my new podcast, The Jed Hearn Show, where every week I share the best fantasy writing advice that I've learned from publishing three fantasy novels and a best-selling video game. There's over 12 episodes that you can listen to right away, including my top 10 fantasy books of all time, how to make fantasy names that don't suck, two rules that make writing effortless, and my complete summaries of Brandon Sanderson's and Neil Gaiman's writing classes, and much more. Check it out by searching for The Jed Hearn Show in your podcast app. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Wizards, Warriors, and Words, a fantasy writing advice podcast. I'm Jed Hearn, author of Fires of the Dead. I'm Dirk Ashton, author of the Paternus Trilogy. Uh, I'm Rob Hayes, author of books and ruiners of characters' lives. And today's episode... <laughs> oh, sorry, I had to cut you off. Oh, you son so of rude. a bit <laughs> dissing me already, you fucker. All right. Uh, hi, I'm Michael <laughs> R. Fletcher author of the Obsidian Path series with the first book, Blackstone Hurt. Rock on! Okay, now you can go. All right, sorry for cutting you off there. That was, uh, that was amateurish. We'll get better. So today's episode is all about world building. Um, so this is a pretty big thing for fantasy authors, and it's probably one of the reasons why I personally am quite drawn to the genre. Um, we're going to talk a lot about like what we think is a good method for doing world building in our books but i thought we could perhaps start by discussing what do we think is some bad things that we see in books world building wise rob do you want to kick us off in this discussion what are some like bad world building things that you see other authors doing in their books uh massive amounts of exposition where am i looking mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um I, I think uh yeah, I mean, to be honest, if it, it's one of those rules where if it works, it works. Dirk's made it work. But I think uh, quite often one of the things that I find personally that, that will drag me out of a narrative is when the world building is, is delivered almost solely through exposition instead of sort of like uh, characters more sort of organically discovering things about it. Um, I think that's probably the, the main one that I can think of at this particular point when you put me on the spot. I'll pass it over to someone right. else. No warning on this show. Totally impressive. <laughs> Who wants yeah, to jump uh, in next? 
Uh, sure, I'll jump in. Uh, I think the mistake I see most often is is trying to get it out too fast, which is touching on what Rob said. But it's basically like your first chapter, um, trying to sort of, uh, you know, sink the reader into the world right away um, by giving them everything and explaining everything. Um, you know, like a character never just does anything they do this because of the 10,000 years of history that now I'm going to talk about for a moment and you know it, it it's I, I find world building is sort of best spoon fed slowly over the course of a book um I think actually uh, another sorry I'm just gonna keep talking uh the other mistake is uh the other problem is people doing way too fucking much of it um spending so much time world building they never actually write their book uh i so many people talk about you know the months and months they spend world building and then by the time they're done they're bored um and so they, they're like i don't want to write this book and they start building another world and when you've got <laughs> that insane level of detail if you know why they're shipping tea from one province to another and how much it costs <laughs> in you know bronze pieces um then you're going to include that in your book as like in information that the reader doesn't give a fuck about. You know, if, if it doesn't matter to the plot, just cut that shit out. Dirk. That, that's when you start building a and d system instead of a, instead of a, a novel. <laughs> the things that I see with new authors um, are complicated, uh, are making things overly complicated. Um, like trying to, at one point I, I had people, a small amount of people, transported to another world, and I needed to see over the year. I felt like I needed to see over the years what the population growth would be. And I spent, you know, a long time searching and figuring that stuff out. And then it just turned out it just didn't really matter, right? You just say there are this many people, or you just don't. You don't even say that. There's a whole lot of information that people put in that they really don't need um, super complex stuff about atmospheres and things like that, that honestly readers um, who are super world building geeks might be interested in, but they are a tiny, tiny percentage of your readers. Most of the readers, if you don't, the, tr the biggest trick in world building is not what to put in, but what not to put in, right? Um, and, Often, only on the reread uh, will you find those things. The other thing that I see are overcomplicated naming systems uh, for lengths of measurement, um, for, for, for amounts of time, um, and uh, overuse of those things, like making up all your own words and terms and, and things, and, uh, and then if they don't have any relation, you know, if they aren't one stride, right, or something that people can relate to, they just don't make sense. Um, and that stuff can be interesting in very, very small doses, um, times of day, seasons, names of seasons, things like that. Um, they need to have some relation to our real world or else they simply don't make sense. Um, and if you have to stop and explain what that means, it's already over, uh, too overly complicated. So those would be my, those would be my two, uh, my, 
my my things that I would add. There's so, a lot of stuff you know, like using a different language and then and then stopping to put in brackets what what that word that you just put means. Is that what you're saying, Dirk? Well, that, but it, it could also <laughs> be it could also be just you know, it's it's the season of uh, forty eight thirty two twenty six. And somebody says, oh, I know what that means. That means that, you know, you just, I mean, if you've got to, if you've got to, you know, I mean, you want equivalents for time, for centuries, for, for decades, for days, for times of day, but, uh, or, or length measurements, feet, yards, miles, whatever, leagues, whatever it might be. But to make them too esoteric in how they're named or how they work can just that can can really throw me out of a of a of a story pretty quickly and i you know obviously if you've read my books which you have um you know that uh that um i use today's world stuff but um I do some, I do, I, I do, I don't mind throwing, obviously the way I write, I don't mind breaking the fourth wall and throwing people out on occasion. Um, I like that effect when I read books, if it's done okay. Um, Zelazny used to do that a lot and I like it. I like it when he does that. Um, but uh, it's, it's not something you want. If you are looking to do an immersive world, You've got to be careful not to throw people out. I think there's a, a, a danger that it starts to feel really unnatural along those lines. Like if you've got two characters in your story of having a, a conversation and one of them uses you know, a, a word that, that's in, in that world for distance, you know, something which is essentially a meter or whatever. And then the other one or, or that one then has to stop and explain, oh yes, that's this level of, of measurement, this level of distance or whatever. It just it feels unnatural because they both know that word. Why would they suddenly stop to then discuss what it means? Right, right. I yeah, mean, you can, you, can, you can get around that by having it be a new character who doesn't understand it, but that that can that can work once or twice. But if you're doing it more than once or twice, it it means that you've just overcomplicated. You basically overcomplicated the whole thing. Yeah. Going to get back to this discussion in just a second, but Rob, you have our featured book for this particular episode. Would you like to tell us I about? It? Sure. Uh, my feature book for this episode is this one, which I definitely <laughs> wrote. Ignore the name. It's not Ben Galley at all. It's uh, it's Chasing <laughs> Graves by Rob J Hayes. Uh, honest. I wrote and, that. Uh, huh? I wrote that. <laughs> You wrote that. Oh, yeah. Dirk wrote that. And I think uh, Fletcher may have had a hand in it as well. I just did the uh, first letter. There you go. <laughs> but uh, it, it's, it's, it's a very interesting book uh, set in a sort of, um, it, it almost feels Egyptian sort of uh, world where um, death is only the beginning. And when you do die, you come back as a shade, uh, a ghost, uh, and you're put to, to physical labor for the rest of eternity. And, uh, <laughs> That's uh, Chasing Graves. Check it out. Chasing Graves by Ben Galley. Um, the link to that will be in the show notes, as uh, will all the links for the books that we discuss in these episodes. Um, so I think an interesting thing that we're picking up on here is like knowing when to include a piece of world building or when to cut it. And a lot of the stuff we've been discussing has been sort of in the realm of saying that 
it's really only in second, third, fourth drafts that you're really going to get a grasp on what is important to include and what bits you should cut out. So to what extent do you kind of add in world building or cut it out or refine it in your editing process? And, and how does that kind of look for you? Mike, do you want to start us off? Um, actually, world building, I, I, I like to say, you know, oh, I do it this way, but I don't. Uh, each, each book is different for me. I, I don't have a set way of doing anything. Um, you know, you could say it's evolving, but that's bullshit. Uh, basically I'm forgetful and I don't know what I'm doing. So I have to reinvent the stupid fucking wheel every time. So, uh, beyond redemption, uh, I did basically no world building except for a bunch of research on various psychoses. Um, the actual city states and stuff didn't matter. I just made shit up as I went. Um, and basically in terms of like world building, my first draft of, you know, that stuff in the book was the final draft. Um, I added almost nothing. Uh, later it was finished the book and it was like world built as I went. There it is done. Uh, city of sacrifice, uh, series. I did maps. Um, I laid out sort of a, a really hyper detailed cast system. Um, you know, put a lot more thought into the world. Now, in this case, the world was a single city. Um, and, you know, and, and again, that one, so because I did all the work first, you know, there was very little uh, editing or rewriting. So world building for me, I mean, it's, world building is a first draft thing for me. It, it's basically by the time I finish the book, I'm done. Uh, I, for me, it's the characters that take a lot more work um, you know, I spend more time rewriting character stuff, uh, dialogue, you know, tags, descriptive stuff, that sort of stuff. So world, world building tends to be first draft for me. That's interesting. Is that the same for you, Rob? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I basically, I find that, um, I tend to, when I go into a series, I tend to sort of like a lot more world building occurs in, in the first, in, in, you know, in book one. And I'm, I'm very much making up as I go along uh, in that sense. I'm just like, ah, who knows? I'll just throw this in. I'll throw that in. We'll see how it all turns out. Um, and like, like, like uh, Mike, it's, it's very much what goes in tends to stay in for the most part. Um, I think for me, the bigger challenge is when I continue on to, to beyond that into books two and three, where suddenly I have all these things that I threw in in book one just because they sounded cool or whatever. And, uh, and suddenly I have to make them make sense. I have to make, I have to build, I actually have to build the world make sense around the things that I added in. Um, so I think that's, that's where the, the biggest challenge for me comes in is trying to, to gather all of the stupid ideas that I had during book one and make them make some sort of, semblance of sense uh which can be a massive challenge and occasionally leads to entire reworks of, of books i very much noticed yeah. that with the war eternal series where there were just these throwaway world building de well I, I felt like they were throwaway world building details in book one um or early in book two that then became like really meaningful later and yeah i i i'll grill you about some of those off air but like one of them in particular was you mentioned how in that world there's like two moons sort of orbiting around each other 
outside the planet and how they like collide and, and create moon showers, which is sort of asteroid coming down to the earth. Um, was that like, did that just originate as a throwaway world building detail? Was that just something that Absolutely. you're like, oh, this is cool? <laughs> I really That's like the amazing. idea of like these, uh, these, these twin moons that were just sort of cracked into each other and were sort of grinding their way into, into a single moon. Um, and then, uh, and, and then later on, uh, in the series, I think it's like book three, I think I finally explain where it all came from and make it seem like I had the plan all along. Yes. That fooled I me very not. good because yeah, that's, I think <laughs> this is a perfect example of that, right? It's like throwaway well-building detail and then it built into sort of like one of the bigger revelations in book three. So it's kind of nice how sometimes your subconscious like is setting up these things that you don't initially have an idea for but then like as you work with them more you're like oh i i'm a genius like i've set up this thing perfectly before shadow <laughs> this and a lot of the time it doesn't yeah, happen well, but like you install them as part of the world and then they are they're there they're there for you to use later on mm. and i think that's, guys, that's perfect if you can work that way do you yeah. guys um do you guys then write down notes as you make things up so that you can no that would be smart that'd be really smart but no i have to keep rereading my stupid books because right, i'm like yeah, oh, what the that. fuck was that what was that weird temple called yeah right. <laughs> yeah those kinds of details now a lot of that stuff i i put in i i do in advance i don't there is some discovery uh world building like you guys talked about but but uh, a lot of it is advanced but I do run over and I have a thing that's open all the time that has a list of information like that. Consistency um, is, in, is, is another thing that's important in, in, mm -hmm. in world building. You, you don't want to use one thing, one place and another. It's just like anything else. You know, you don't want to have a character with red hair in one scene and half a book later, their hair is brown. Um, so that kind of that kind of stuff is 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 difficult sometimes to keep track of and have you guys here's a question have you guys ever um with world building written yourself into a corner where you really wish you wouldn't have done that or wouldn't have said that in an earlier book because now you got to stick with it yep yeah exactly <laughs> yeah why I, uh, well it's one of the many reasons why i like to write an entire series before i release any of it uh, yeah. because that way it gives me the chance to go back and go, you know what, this just didn't work. Let's just cut that shit from book one. Um, yep. Whereas if, if you just sort of like, you do it how most people do it, I guess, and just sort of like, you know, release it book by book. Once it's out there, it's kind of, it's out there. And then you have to, to, to make use of it or to, to, to break it somehow. Um, but yeah, no, I, I've definitely done that myself. Yeah. There's a, a couple of details in the uh, the Manifest Delusions book about how the after death works that have completely fucked me. Um, <laughs> and because half my characters are dead and in the after death and half my characters are still alive. And there's this, I set up this for God knows what reason, time differential between the realities. Uh, the thought of writing the, the last book and making all that work is basically stopping me from writing that last book. It's like, oh, I totally fucked myself. So <laughs> just ignore the rest of it. Just base it all around Witch Tig. That's all that matters. That, I think that is actually what I'm going to do. I'm just going to blow off all the other characters, and he will ignore all the previous plot lines, 
and wander off challenging people to sword fights. And that will be the book. <laughs> yes, the uh, Spider-Man reboot whenever the continuity gets annoying method. Um, yeah. So in the future, are you, for people who like, uh, yeah, like with your books in the future, Mike, have you like implemented a different way to try to prevent that from being an issue? Like, are you trying no. to work with continuity stuff? Great. Nope. Excellent. Repeating the exact same nothing. mistakes. Oh know. yeah, for sure. What about you, Rob? No, I, I still do things the exact same way. I feel like I'm sort of halfway between uh, uh, Dirk and Mike here. It's like, you know, Mike's just sort of like full on um, uh, you know, gardener, see as it goes. Mm. Dirk's a bit more of a, an architect, but I'm just sort of like somewhere in the middle. Um, no, I, I still work exactly the same way I, I always have, really. I still I, I, I build things in my head. I build the world, different scenes happening, different characters in my head, but it's still pretty much a sit down, see what comes out, and then try to fix it at the end. Yeah, I appreciate you guys bringing this up because like, I'm working on my first series now and all of the world building I've done in the past has been for standalones, which you have that great luxury of never needing to worry about doing future things with it because whatever the world building is, like that's it. You don't have to touch it again. Um, so this has been good for me because hopefully it will encourage me to not write myself into corners with the world building and everything. Um, uh, that's half the fun. That's when you are your most... Uh, inventive is when either your world building or a character has basically, you know, driven you into a corner. I mean, that's the, you know, when you get up and you walk away from the book for a week because you're trying to figure out how to get out. That's when a lot of the really fun shit happens. That is fair. I, I did interview an author recently who was talking about how with the Breaking Bad writing team, that's what they would do. They would like intentionally try to get the characters into corners and not like have a pre-planned way of getting out and then try to be like, okay, so this is what we've set up already. Kind of how Rob, you were saying before, here's all different world building things I've set up. How can I use these and, and go with it? Um, perhaps one last question to sort of wrap this episode up with, how do you want readers to learn more about your world building? Because I think for me, the mark of a really successful fantasy book is one where I am dying for exposition to be conveyed to me, where I am so fascinated to see more secrets about the world and how the magic works or how the history really unfolded. How do you kind of make readers want to have your world building explained to them? Uh, what? <laughs> Dirk, you handle this one. Uh, <laughs> you know, Stumped. I go by, there's, you know, there's a saying that, that early on in a book, in the first, in the, really in the first few pages, especially in the first chapter, you're in, a, you're in essence teaching the reader how to read it, right? And um, if, if you're going to use certain styles or do certain things in the book, including how you do exposition, you want them to see that in the first few pages or at least the first chapter. Um, and that way they know what to expect. If you suddenly surprise them with something, um, the way you laid something out uh, later in the book, um, and you can, you can do this piecemeal, uh, then, then that, that doesn't usually work as well. And I hope that makes sense. And I, wanted, I just wanted to make the, make the um, uh, distinction between, you know, there's hard sci-fi and soft sci-fi, right? 
like they're seriously hard sci-fi where they follow the science absolutely as much as they possibly can, right? I mean, sci-fi is still fantasy-like because you're making shit up, but um, they really try to follow gravity rules and and laws of physics and even, you know, a lot of it explores uh, theories, uh, but they try to do that and keep that consistent, and make that very hard. It's like a hard, and then you'll have um, hard fantasy and soft fantasy where you have hard, uh, very distinct laid out uh, magic systems, um, world building, um, and uh, uh, obeying specific rules and laws of physics that you set up. You can set up whatever you want within a certain parameter, and then you have to follow those very strictly. Um, like, uh, I mean, I, a lot of people have read Red Rising. It's one of the softest sci-fi you can imagine. The physics is just thrown out the window. It doesn't matter. It's also sold millions and millions of copies, right? Um, so you kind of have to develop as you go through. Are you going to do a hard fantasy um, where you're going to have you know, say two moons are rotating around each other and crashing each, each other in. Is that even possible physically? And do you care, right? Because a whole lot of, um, uh, and, you know, you want to write the book that you want to read. That's number one. Um, so you have to find out which one of those things you want. And you have to kind of do that um, in your books uh, as far as, and obey, once you're in there, obey your own rules. You know, if people can fly, people can fly. But if suddenly, if people can't fly and then suddenly they can and it's not really explained, it's silly, right? Mm. So uh, hopefully, hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, I love that idea. Again, consistency is the name of the game. Yes, and like training your readers what to expect. And then once you've established their expectations, it's quite easy for you to fulfill those in a satisfying way. Um, Michael or Rob, do we have any thoughts on this idea of how we can make readers want to know more about our world building before we close out this episode? I think it's uh, it's feeding it to them slowly mm -hmm. and it's not dumping it all early. Um, you give hints, you tease stuff. I mean, you can sort of foreshadow world building the same way you foreshadow plot. Um, you know, like if blood sacrifice is a huge part you don't have to show that page one. You don't even have to show it in the first chapter, but you can kind of hint at that. And, you know, so when it does happen, they know it's coming, but it hasn't sort of explicitly been said so. Um, kind of same with, same with magic. I mean, you, really, you can foreshadow any, any aspect of, of your fiction. That'd be, that'd be my thing. Okay. Rob? Um, well, I'd, I'd say... Uh... Yeah, a similar sort of thing, except I, I kind of broke the rules with the War Eternal, I think, because, you know, you're not supposed to give that much sort of foreshadowing, and that's, that's a large part of the book. I just sort of drop uh, entire hints over what's to come, um, and a lot of that I basically did as a way to hook uh, readers in. Um, so, you know, you sort of like, it can be an offhand comment. You know, a, a character just mentions something cool in the world, that, that people want to know more about and suddenly they're like, ooh, ooh, I want to know more and then you just you leave it for a while and let it, let it fester. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think that's a good way. Just, just 
yeah, for, a little bit of foreshadowing, just dropping hints. Um, and you don't necessarily need to explain it. You can, you can save the exposition for a reveal later or something like that. But something, something cool, something hooky that will draw people in. Yeah, I think what all this is kind of coming back to is in some way the world building should be related to the characters and the themes of your story. And if you are providing information about world building stuff that doesn't really relate to characters or themes or, or just what your story is about, then sometimes that's cool to have because it like makes it feel more realistic that you're not just being like straight down the line with everything. But I definitely think for me, the world building I appreciate the most is where everything sort of relates um, in some way to the story. And that doesn't mean that it has to all be foreshadowing what's happening, but it can just reflect things like, for instance, like in the war eternal trust is a big theme of some of those early books and you have games and just, well, maybe not necessarily world building things, but yeah, you have games um, which are exploring this idea of trust. And there is a game called trust. And that is a good example of like a world building element that is not necessarily like related to the plot per se, although it is in this case, but it's more just a kind of like emotional reflection of the tone of the story world. And I think that's another important aspect of it to consider as well. So with that, I think it is time to wrap this episode. Thank you everyone for listening or watching and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Wizards, Warriors and Words. We hope you learned something useful. We love hearing from our listeners. Our email is wizardswarriorswords at gmail.com, which you can also find in the show notes. I personally read and respond to every email. So feel free to let us know what you thought about this episode. We'd also love to hear your questions. Send in a question via that email wizardswarriorswords at gmail.com and we might even answer it on the show. If you haven't already, please subscribe and write a review on Apple Podcasts. This helps more people discover the show. Wizards, Warriors and Words is jointly hosted by Dirk Ashton, Michael R. Fletcher, Rob J. Hayes and Jed Hearn. Our music comes from Michael R. Fletcher and our artwork is by Felix Ortiz. Thank you again for listening. Now go and write extraordinary stories. We'll see you next time. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.